Good evening. I want to thank you for being here. Glad we have this opportunity to worship together tonight. I think when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, sometimes it's hard for us to really picture all that that means. And Jesus does help us out a little bit. He tells us that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we see there that part of being a good shepherd implies that you put the flock's needs over your own sometimes. And I think that this is especially illustrated in something that happened somewhat recently. There was a news report from 2005 in Istanbul, Turkey, where nearly 1,000 sheep jumped off of a cliff because their shepherds left them to go eat breakfast. And when they came back, 1,000 of their sheep had plummeted down this hillside, and about 450 or so of them died. And the total cost, when you calculate the wool over a lifetime and everything else involved in that, was estimated to be around $100,000 lost, and, uh, and, you know, on top of the loss of the life of the sheep. And you think about why that happened. These men, for whatever reason, it was out of their custom, it was out of their habit, decided to go eat breakfast instead of watch after the sheep in this time. And we see throughout God's word this example of shepherds who are more concerned with themselves than with their flock. In Zechariah chapter 10 and verse number 2, God says that his own people suffer lack because the shepherds are more concerned with themselves rather than the people that they were leading. And then later on in the book of Zechariah, it says that God's going to send a shepherd and that he's going to shepherd his people and that's fulfilled in Jesus, because even in Zechariah 13, the prophecy about striping, striking the shepherd and the sheep scattering, that's from that passage there. Likewise, in Ezekiel 34, verse number 8, God refers to those shepherds that are overseeing sheep that are starving because they decided instead to feed themselves. And you have an example where the leader of God's people, instead of focusing on the nourishment and the health of those they were put in charge of, We're just focused on themselves. But again, Jesus, I mean, God reveals in verse 15 of Ezekiel 34 that he himself will shepherd his people. And this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Peter would say that all we like sheep have gone astray, but now we've returned to the overseer, the shepherd of our souls. And in him we have salvation and we find mercy and grace. Looking at how the Lord shepherds his people, I would like for us to turn our Bibles to Psalm 23, if you would, with me. And we'll look at some principles here from Psalm 23, the first four verses of Psalm 23, a very well-known psalm. And we'll see as the shepherd of his people, the Lord does a couple of different things as a shepherd. And hopefully all of us tonight, as Christians, are submitting to the Lord as the shepherd of our lives, and we're seeking to follow him and and uh, uh, have our lives and our being in him. But we'll notice some things from this psalm. If you would read the first four verses with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we see from this section of this psalm two ways in which the Lord acts as a shepherd for his people. The first one is that the Lord provides for his people. As a shepherd, the Lord provides for his sheep, if you will. 
And I contend that in these first three verses, we see that this provision is uh, it's, uh, mani- it's manifest in a couple of different ways. You have a physical provision, an emotional provision, and even a spiritual provision. The physical provision is seen in that the Lord's sheep have what they need. Notice that. Notice what that says. It says, I shall not want. Some translations translate that phrase, I shall not suffer lack. I have everything that I need. And sometimes we confuse wants and needs, and we think if we're a Christian, we'll have everything we want. And obviously, it doesn't take long to realize that that's not the case. Instead, we ought to view this as, so long as the Lord is my shepherd, I will suffer no lack. I have to embarrass Lori a little bit, and I'm sorry, but she told me that when she was growing up, whenever she read Psalm 23, the way she interpreted it as a little kid is, the Lord is my shepherd that I don't want. And he forces me to lie down in green pastures. That's the way she thought about it for a little while. Hopefully she grew out of that view. I know she did. Uh, But we ought not to view it that way. Instead, because the Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist would say, David would say, I have what I need. And there was uh, times David, of course, came from pretty humble origins. Remember when he went to get anointed? And Samuel said, this is the guy, right? Nope. This is the guy, right? Nope. This is the guy, right? Nope. He had to go all the way to the youngest son who was out in the yard taking care of the sheep. And sometimes we forget that about David when we look at his uh, somewhat more luxurious life as king. But David said because the Lord was his shepherd, he has what he needs. And this is probably a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. We're speaking, Moses, speaking of the Lord's provision of the people out of Egypt in the Exodus. He tells them this, These forty years the Lord has been with you, and you lacked nothing. And it doesn't mean that the food they were given by God, they liked more than the food in Egypt. Remember, that wasn't the case. It didn't mean that whenever they were thirsty, they had something to drink. It didn't mean they had above and beyond what they would have wanted, but it meant that all their needs were met. And instead of reacting in thankfulness, they reacted uh, with unthankfulness. Notice with me Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10, and notice what the psalmist there has to say about those who fear the Lord. He said, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And we read that and we know that there's been times in our lives that maybe we haven't got everything we want. Maybe we know Christians here or in other countries who are suffering and struggling. And I think that in a sense this is proverbial, proverbially true, but what is true absolutely is that the Lord work, work, looks out for his people. And it may be that we fall on hard times, it may be that even sometimes because of our own mistakes, or even some things out of our control, we fall on hard times, but even then the Lord is providing. If not uh, with money, etc., he's providing with rest. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's not go there yet. Also think of Matthew 6, 25, though. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, where Jesus addresses those people who are so nervous about clothing and about food. And he says, look around you. Look at the flowers of the field, how greatly they're dressed. Better than Solomon, even. If God clothes them, certainly he'll clothe you. Or look at the birds of the air. They don't put much work into gathering their food. They're not storing it up but they're fed. And he says, how much more will he take care of you? 
O you of little faith, therefore we ought not to worry about tomorrow. Just like a shepherd's job is to take care of his sheep and make sure they're taken care of, the Lord provides for his people. And this doesn't mean that right when we need it, somehow clothes are going to fall out of heaven or food's going to fall out of heaven. God can arrange this providentially. I think most of the times, oftentimes, at least in my experience, he arranges this through people, through his people. Whether it's through his community, the church, where there's people who are suffering and in need, but they're Christians and their brothers and sisters help them and take care of them. Whatever it is, the Lord looks out for his people. We see that in this psalm. There's also the emotional provision. The Lord's sheep, what do they do? They are led to rest in green pastures. They're not suffering want. They're not worried by scarcity. And they're led to rest beside peaceful rivers. One translation says waters um, of peace. And you have this idea of instead of being led into fear and angst, the Lord's sheep are able to rest in tranquil scenes. And sometimes we think that if this is true, this is only true when this life is over, right? On the other side, when we cross over and if uh, we're saved and if we go to heaven, then we can rest. But I contend that the Lord, because of his provision, because he is our shepherd, when we submit to him as sheep, if you will, we can have rest even in this life. Now look at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 and see what it says there. It's a pretty famous verse. Remember what Jesus says? He says, come to me. All you that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even in this life, we can have this, this peace, this rest in Jesus, knowing that he's with us and he's our shepherd. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 4, if you would. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Speaking of this emotional sufficiency, if you will, that the Lord provides as the shepherd of his sheep. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but instead in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Notice this, and the peace of God. It's as if he's leading us into green pastures, as if he's leading us by by the still waters. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we can help out here too. Notice what Paul says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And it doesn't mean we'll never be anxious if we're the Lord's sheep. It doesn't mean we'll never have fears. It doesn't mean we'll never fall on hard times. But the Lord provides for us a way to have a peace that surpasses understanding. He provides for us a way, if you will, to lead us into those green pastures, to lead us beside those still waters. We can know that in these times, in these hard times, we can go to him. And by supplication and prayer with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be known. As uh, Peter would say elsewhere, we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And it's only by the Lord's provision, it's only that peace that we can have by knowing that the Lord's there and he listens and he cares. That we cast our burdens on him. It's as if we're in green pastures. It's as if we're beside still waters. 
God does not, oftentimes, does not force our circumstances to be peaceful. It's not as if we pray and he snaps his finger and the problems go away, but he provides for us a way to experience that peace even in the midst of those circumstances because he's with us, he's shepherding us, and he's provided us a way to do that through him and through his son. And then we see the spiritual provision. Notice there Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here we see the spiritual provision of the Lord for his sheep. He restores the souls of his sheep, and he leads them on paths of righteousness. This Hebrew verb translated restore means to turn back. It can mean to or to refresh. And we see this idea of the Lord allowing that opportunity, making it come about where one's soul, one's life can be restored and refreshed and turned back to God. How is this brought about in our lives today? I would contend it's brought about by reading God's word and living it out. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 19 and verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse number 7, just a couple pages back, the psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You see, when we are plugged in to God through his word, we have this reviving of our soul. We have this refreshing of our soul. We have this ability to follow him and his paths of righteousness. The Lord does this for our souls still today when we repent. Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through the first part of verse 20. Peter tells these Jewish leaders there, he says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So you see there this uh, combination of repentance, having our soul restored, having it refreshed. When we turn from our sin, when we follow what God has revealed to us in his word. The psalmist says in Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. How? Through his word. He goes on to say, Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. How? Through the word of God. In Romans 8.14 we read that we're all sons of God. If, those of us, sorry, we, those of us, for all who are led by the spirit of God, are sons of God. You're led by the Spirit of God by digging into the Word of God, which the Spirit has revealed. So we see here that we can have this refreshing, this restoration that's only possible in God. And then he goes on, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And when we think of a sheep herder, we might think about someone following a bunch of sheep around and corralling them. You might think of like maybe like a kindergarten class where all the kids are rambunctiously doing their own thing, and the teacher's almost a couple steps behind, just picking up the messes as they walk through. But in this context, the shepherd isn't behind the sheep. He's in front of them, and he's leading them. And remember, Jesus talked about the sheep, my sheep, know my voice. And there's videos on YouTube now, you can look it up, where sheep will respond just like that to their shepherd. They know him. They trust him. In this example, the Lord is leading the way. And we as his sheep are following him. And notice where the Lord leads. In paths of righteousness. 
If we want to be righteous, if we want to do righteous things, there's only one way, and that's to follow God. It's to go to his word, to read it, to put it into practice in our own life. Without God's guidance through his word, we're unable to walk on the path of righteousness. It's the only way. Look at Psalm 119, if you would, with me. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Psalm 119, 33 through 40. And I think this is the section titled, He. Yeah. Psalm 119, 33 through 40. Notice what the psalmist says here. This whole psalm really is about a righteous person's outlook on the word of God. And he says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Notice this here. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your way. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. The Lord leads us still today on paths of righteousness if we follow his word. If we seek his word, if we thirst for righteousness and follow him, he leads us on that good path. And notice why he does it. He does it for his name's sake. He doesn't do it because we deserve it. He doesn't do it because we're pretty sheep and we smell nice. He does it for his own name's sake. One translation, for his own reputation. The Lord does these things, not because of how great we are, but because of how great he is. In Psalm 25:11, the psalmist cries out, he says, O oh Lord, my guilt is great. Please pardon me for your great name's sake. See, because of the uh, level of his guilt, all he can allude to, all he can reference to try to get some forgiveness is God's own name's sake. There's nothing inside of himself that he could say, God, look at me, look how great I am. Please, I deserve to be forgiven. He says, God, do it for your name's sake. And those who submit to the Lord as their shepherd will have a restored soul. They will walk on the path of righteousness as they listen to his voice through his word and obey it. And that's the blessing of submitting to the great shepherd. That's the blessing uh, of being one of God's sheep. Notice likewise with me that the Lord protects his sheep. Look at verse number four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death sounds like a place that I never want to be. It's a scary place, and it's mentioned that way on purpose. The Hebrew here doesn't mention death. It refers to total darkness. It's a frightening place, and death is certainly a possibility there. But it's a valley. It's blocked off. Sometimes we say where the sun doesn't shine. It's blocked off from the sun. It's a deep ravine. It's somewhere you don't want to walk through. And the psalmist says, even in this place, even in this place, you don't want to end up. Lord's sheep can be courageous because the Lord is in there with them in the dark valley. Notice that the Lord's sheep don't avoid the dark valleys altogether. It's not that they never end up in the dark valleys. It's that while they're walking through them, the Lord is there with them. In other words, the Lord doesn't comfort his sheep by plucking them up 
at the beginning of the dark valley and carrying them across it so that they don't have to walk through it and then dropping them off on the other side. The Lord walks through the dark valley with his sheep. And he's there so that they can lean on him, so that they can gain comfort from him, so that they can be protected. They don't bypass the dark valleys. They go through them with the help of God. And notice there that the psalmist refers to his rod and his staff. Psalmists, likewise, most of the times, would have two tools. A rod, if you will, it's kind of like a club-looking tool. And that's for protection. That's to beat off predators. That's to protect the sheep in a physical way. And the other tool, the staff or the shepherd's crook, is there to guide the sheep, to discipline them, to help them. And you see the complete picture here of God's protection of his sheep. There's offense and there's defense, right? Not only did God disarm the rulers and the authorities, and not only did Jesus destroy the one with power over death by his death and his resurrection, not only is there offense, but there's continued providential protection. And if we walk in the light as he's in the light, even if we go through a valley of life, God's there with us, helping us and protecting us if we submit to him as our shepherd. There's a couple things I would like to say as a way of wrapping up or as a way of applying this to ourselves. And I want to say in the outset that there is a way in which the Lord provides for everybody. And I think sometimes this is easy to overlook. But remember in Matthew 5, 44 through 45, Jesus says, Be kind to those who sin against you and pray for your enemies. Then you'll be like your Father in heaven. Why? For he causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. God, Paul would say in Acts 14, 17, that these godless Gentiles who did not know God, who did not submit to him, that God gave them witness of himself by giving them fruitful seasons by which they could have joy and gladness. In Acts 17, 26 through 28, Paul, speaking to those philosophers in Athens, tells them that God isn't far from any one of them. They could reach out and grope for him and find him. In fact, we're all his offspring. In him we have our being and our moving, Paul would say. So there is a case in which God provides for everybody, but there is a special sense in which God takes care of those who are his. And sometimes it's discouraging because we don't always see it in this lifetime. And we see people, and we sing songs about it all the time, we see people who could not care less about God, who do everything the opposite of how God would have them to do it. And they have everything they want. They have everything they need. They have less worry. They have less stress. They have less difficulties. And then we see, though, that as Christians, the Lord is our shepherd. And there is a blessing in that. And we might not have easy lives, but we'll be able to make it through because the Lord is shepherding in us. And even if we die in the valley of the shadow of death, even if there we die, he'll even shepherd us onto the other side. And we can be there in those green pastures with him for eternity. When we look around in the world, sometimes it's difficult to live as a sheep of God, one of God's sheep. Sometimes we would rather do it our own way. Sometimes we would rather guide ourselves on our own path. Sometimes we would rather live without a regard for the good shepherd. Sometimes because of our pride, because of who we think we are, sometimes we think that we might know better. But remember those sheep in Turkey, while the shepherds ate breakfast, what did they do? 
that jumped off of that cliff. And they may have thought they knew better, but they didn't. They needed their shepherds. And because their shepherd was gone, they suffered. And for us, sometimes half the battle is submitting to the shepherd. Is, and following the advice of Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, if you would turn there with me. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. And notice what the Proverbs writer tells us there. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That is, you're not your own guide through life. You're leaning on God. It says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Follow His way, so that you don't have to go on crooked siding. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. We ought not to think that we know better than the Lord. Instead, we are to fear Him and to turn away from evil. He goes on, notice this, when we do this, when we submit to the Lord as our shepherd, when we follow his path, not our own, when we don't think that we know better than him, when we don't think uh, that we know what's best and we ought to follow our own way, verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There's a blessing in that. And submitting to God as our shepherd and following him and not seeking to guide or to lead ourselves. In fact, the ultimate blessings are only found within the sheepfold of God. And those outside of Christ may be blessed materialistically. They might have nice things. They might be even happy people. But the ultimate blessings are found in the sheepfold of God. Paul would say all spiritual blessings are in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And only there. How do we enter the sheepfold of God where physical needs are met by the Good Shepherd and His community? where emotional fulfillment is found in the God of peace who cares for us and spiritual healing in the righteous path is provided by the Father. How do we get into that group of sheep? There's only one way, and that way is Jesus. Remember what he said. We read it not too long ago. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The only way to become a sheep of God is to enter his fold through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the door. There's no other way in. He's the one who let down his life so that we could have entrance into God's special group of people. Where blessings are found in abundance. Where forgiveness and mercy is found in abundance. And if we've yet to enter the sheepfold of God, we need to do that. Maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe we need to humble ourselves. Maybe we need to recognize that we are completely dependent on God and we need Him. Maybe we need to recognize that there's nowhere else we can go to have forgiveness of our sins. Maybe we need to recognize that when we lean on our own understanding, we're not on a straight path. Maybe we've already entered the sheepfold, but we're the sheep that keeps on wanting to get away from the flock. Maybe we kick and we bite the shepherd. And instead of submitting to him and going where he'd have us to go, we seek to walk close to the edge of the cliff. I hope that we can all be encouraged tonight to submit to the shepherd, willingly and gladly recognizing that it's only in that way that our lives can be truly blessed. It's only in that way that we can be on the path of righteousness. It's only in that way that we can have souls that are restored that we can have healing, that we can have refreshment.
If you've yet to enter the sheepfold of God, if you've yet to submit to the Good Shepherd, tonight's the night to do it. The door still stands. Jesus still stands to receive you, to help you, to forgive you. If you would have faith in Him, repent of your sins, turn from them, confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and if you're buried in Him, baptized into Christ, you enter into the sheepfold of God. You put on Christ, you enter that door, and now you're counted among God's people where we can be blessed and we can be guided by God himself, the one who knows best. If you have the need to do that tonight, we ask that you'll come as we stand and sing this song.